Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Continue with Paul's argument that justification is by faith, uh, apart from works of the law. Let's pray. Oh God, we don't deserve to hear a word from you, but you are gracious and kind, and you have shown yourself to us through your word. We pray we not neglect that grace, but that we um, truly would be um, sanctified by it. Because as Jesus said in John 17, his desire for his disciples is that we be sanctified by your word or by your truth and your word is truth we pray we hear it as what it is this morning the word of god in jesus name amen let's stand for the reading of god's word galatians 3 10 through 14 For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. I have some news for you that you might find to be a relief. Uh, You don't have to be circumcised to receive the blessing of Abraham. Seems obvious to us, but in the New Testament time, that was a very real issue and a very real question. In Acts 15, here in Galatians, do, do, do Gentiles becoming Christians, to become sons of Abraham, do they have to undergo this, this uh, right, this, this circumcision. It was a really hard question. And of course, that's the question around which uh, Galatians centers. And really, it's kind of a question that we all ask in many ways is, is what do I have to do to get a blessing from God? What do I have to do to be blessed of God? course not circumcision but maybe we have other forms or ways even as christians where we struggle to um, understand where the blessing of god comes from other we have we have attempts that we we create within ourselves to um, where we try to earn god's favor if i i'm a little bit vulnerable with you i had a some frustration a week or two ago, and I texted my dad. I just—he's the person I dump on usually. So poor guy. Uh, but I, 
uh, basically uh, my text consisted of something like uh, in my experience in ministry here and in Wetmore I've fought to the best of my ability for biblical fidelity trying to please God rather than man Uh, where's the fruit? why doesn't he bless this? it seems like I'm trying to do the right thing now there's so much wrong with that that statement. I could spend all afternoon unpacking what's wrong with that statement. But really, the problem is, I think I'm owed a blessing for the work I've done. So the question, how are we blessed of God? How do we obtain the blessing of God? Paul in this text gives us two uh, statements showing why Works of the law is not the answer to that question. Um, Two statements. The first is that imperfect law keeping results in a curse from God. Imperfect law keeping results in disfavor from God because for all the good that I've done and all the law keeping I've done, one, one breaking of the law results in his disfavor, in his curse. So that's, that's the first, uh, Statement is that the imperfect law keeping results in a curse. The second is um, right standing in God's sight or justification is by faith. And he says the law is not a faith. So in essence, the law is insufficient to make us righteous before God. And then in a third statement, he he points us to the only means that we have to actually be blessed of God, which of course is Christ, that Christ bore the curse of the law for us. And each of these three statements is kind of convenient. He he has a statement and then some scriptural proof, and then a statement and some scriptural proof, using the Old Testament as his authority here to, to defend his thesis that justification is by faith apart from works of the law. So the first statement and the first reason why uh, works of the law are are a bad choice when we're trying to receive or obtain the blessing of God. The first statement in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So why is it that works can't earn us a blessing? Because imperfect law keeping results in a curse, in the disfavor of the Lord. There's the old saying, live by the sword, die by the sword. Or in basketball, live by the three, die by the three. You, know, you can shoot three-pointers. They're worth more, but they're kind of a lower percentage shot. And if you're off, you're going to die by the three. It may, may be better if you're off to move closer to the basket. What's similar here, live by works, die by the works. Or, or live by law, die by the law. And unlike basketball... <laughs> With, with the law, 100%, you gotta shoot 100% if, if you're gonna win. 100% perfection is what's required if you choose to live by the law. So that first statement, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That that, that makes it a bad choice for trying to obtain the favor of the Lord, trying to obtain the blessing of the Lord. And he supports that in, in the second half of verse 10. 
by quoting um, from Deuteronomy verse 10 for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them does not abide by all things Deuteronomy chapter 27 Um, and this is a beautiful part of Deuteronomy and if you're not familiar with it I suggest you go read Deuteronomy 27 and 28 it's it's the covenant blessings and cursings and it gives us an idea really uh, of the essence of covenant blessing and cursing Israel as they were going into the promised land they they were camped out at Shittim right before the Jordan River before God split the waters and they crossed over and he when they were there I think it's in chapter 11 he says when you get across, you're going to go um, to Shechem, and, and, and Shechem has Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And there you're going to have this covenant renewal ceremony. Actually, if you want to turn over um, to that Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27, and I'll start in verse 9. So here they're in the promised land now. Moses has recounted the law before them. Then Moses and the Levitical priesthood said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes which I command you. That day Moses charged the people, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, and the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And then he goes on to... Um, tell them what the curses and the blessings are. So throughout the rest of 27 are the curses for breaking the covenant law. And in verse 28, we read some of the blessing and then more more curses. So this is the picture we're talking about here. When we're talking about in in Galatians, the difference between blessing and cursing, this is it's talking about the blessing of covenant faithfulness and the curse of covenant disfaith or unfaithfulness. Now notice uh, back in Deuteronomy 27, the absolute language of the text. Um, In verse 1 of chapter 27, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. In verse or chapter 28, 1, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord will God, your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. 28.15 But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And in verse 58, 
If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness and grievous and lasting. So you see the, the absolute language. You must obey all the commands that I have given you. This is the covenant law. So Paul's quotation is from uh, verse 26 of chapter 20 of Deuteronomy 27. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So imperfect law-keeping is, um, it results in a curse. It's a bad choice for sinners who want to, to earn the merit or favor of the Lord. Because, again, one sin, one unrighteous act, discounts that whole law-keeping, that you, all that effort that you put in. One sin breaks what he commanded right there. You must keep all the commandment of the law. Again, live by the law, die by the law. One sin, one missed shot means you've broken the whole thing. So it's kind of silly to have this idea here, and this is why Paul's so worked up about circumcision in, in Galatians, is because if you if you want to keep one part of the law, you've got to keep the whole thing. So circumcision or, or becoming a proselyte or being um, in the synagogue is not a good means for obtaining the, the blessing of the Lord. And we too must be careful that as important as our doctrine is to us or as important as our church life is or as important as um, personal holiness may be to us, we do not let those things creep in and become means by which we feel like we're entitled to the favor of the Lord. Well, my doctrine is good, so why, why isn't he blessing me, right? That, that's the wrong-headed way of thinking. So the exhortation here is abandon any attempt to earn the favor and blessing of the Lord uh, based on the law. And that, that includes not just the, these things that are very strange to us like circumcision or food laws, but the moral law as well. We do not earn God's favor because I do a really great job keeping the Sabbath or because uh, I, I honor my father and mother or I've tried to eradicate um, images of Christ from my home. These are not means by which God gives us His blessing and His favor, though He does bless obedience. They do not earn us righteousness before Him. And that's really the point of the second statement of why um, works of the law are not the answer to how we can find the blessing of the Lord. His second statement is basically, no one is counted righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Nobody is made justified in verses uh, 11 and 12. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. This is really a restatement of the point in verse 10, that if you live by the law, you're going to die by the law. There it was imperfect law-keeping results in a curse. And here he's saying the law is insufficient to make us righteous before God. 
it's evident, he says, that no one is justified before God by the law. It's insufficient because if we're going to keep the whole law, it's too late when we're born because we're born in sin. So if no one is able to keep the law, it's a poor choice. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says it's evident, and the reason it's evident is because Scripture is his authority. And he uh, uses the Old Testament once again as his authority. This is what Scripture has to say about the righteous life lived in faith and the life of the law. In verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That's Leviticus chapter 18 or 15. So there's a contrast here. Um, in, in Habakkuk 2.4, you may remember that the Babylonians were this mighty nation and they rested on their own powers and their own military might. They were very proud. And then he says, in contrast, the just shall live by faith. So the difference between faith and law is one is living according to their own strength and their own power while those of faith are resting and waiting. As hard as it was for Habakkuk to wait on the Lord, he was waiting on the Lord. The, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is definitional to the life of the justified people. So righteousness is seen really in in casting our own sense of justice and righteousness to the ground and depending utterly on God's righteousness. The, The law life, on the other hand, he says in verse 12, but the law is not of faith, but the one who does them shall live by them. So the, the law life is completely dependent on our own doing. Not of faith, but on our doing. The one who does them shall live by them. So the law, once again, is a bad option for obtaining God's blessing because no one can be viewed as righteous by the law. Nobody can be justified by the law. We're too insufficient. And the third statement, and again, we're asking the question, how do we obtain blessing? So his third statement here, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Essentially, his point is Christ redeemed us by becoming a substitute. The big difference between living by faith and by law is really, I think, a big part of it is understanding the severity of the problem. Um, I don't tend to buy into conspiracy theories, uh, especially large-scale ones. You, you've heard of the flat earth theory, or that they don't believe the earth is a globe, but it, it's flat like a pancake, and uh, <laughs> all the... They, that, there's like an ice dam around the end, so that's why the water doesn't flow out. And um, it's just, of course, absurd. And of all the problems, though, I think the hardest problem to overcome with something like that is the massive international kind of multi-vocational. you got politicians, military, you know, airline pilots. They would all have to be in cahoots. Sinners aren't able to coordinate something like that for that length of time. It's impossible. 
they overestimate humanity's abilities and they underestimate the problem. And this is true not just of conspiracy theories, but many governmental and social programs as well. We're in the same situation, and they were too in Galatia. We can merit the blessing of God by keeping a few of these laws. Uh, Really, that's really underestimating man's depravity and God's holiness. Faith says, God, we need you to do it. Where law says, I can do it. We can do it. We can make it happen. Now, verse 13, Paul actually, he just kind of skips right to it. He assumes we're all under the curse of the law. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. All of us are under a curse because of sin. This is Exodus language. Jesus has redeemed us. He has purchased us from bondage to sin and the curse. And the way he's done that is is substitution. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He he became a curse by being hung, hung on a tree. And it's interesting, how many people have been crucified? How many people have been hung on a tree? I had a professor in, in seminary that talked about the sacking of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and he said the soldiers were just, when people would run out, they would crucify them. They were all around the city crucified in all manner of shapes because the soldiers were just playing with it by that. Thousands of people have been crucified, hung on a tree, but how many have been hung on a tree for us? So that's what he said. He was hung on a tree for us. He took the curse for us. He became a curse for us. Deuteronomy 21:23 is what he quotes. Um, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And basically the idea was not that, that someone was on a gallows being hung, but that after someone died as a, a way of making an example, they were hung out for all to see. But he said, well, don't leave them overnight because you don't want to defile your country with this, this sight. So you need to take them down at nighttime. But he says the reason they're hung out is because a hangman is cursed by God. Heidelberg uh, 39 asks, Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? I mean, why was he not why why was he not born in 19 or eight, the 1800s or the 1900s? Why was he not electrocuted or why was he not stoned? Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and didn't die in a different way? Yes, thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay upon me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. So Jesus, the only person who actually ever kept the law, bore the curse of the law. He bore the curse of the law for me. Works of the law says we can do it. We can earn God's favor. But faith says my best works have earned me God's righteous curse. I owe an unpayable debt and I am owed God's eternal wrath. Christ became a curse, and he became a curse for me. He became the cursed man so I could be the blessed man. He he bore upon himself the announcement of Ebal so I could hear the blessing of Gerizim. 
So we're all under the curse. There's no escaping that. And Christ became a curse for us. Do we believe that? The more we believe that, the less we will try to earn God's favor and God's blessing by our works. We should seek His blessing. I like the story of Jacob who was wrestling with God and he said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, not until you bless me. I think we should have that kind of a prayer attitude about the blessing of God. But it's not by our works. It's seeking Him for blessing. And we have to know that His blessing takes the shape that He wants it to take. And know that if we believe, we already do have the greatest blessing that Christ bore the curse on our behalf. Now in verse 14, we see the purpose of His being cursed for us, which is indeed our blessing. So how do we obtain the blessing of Abraham? Is it by circumcision? Is it by our best efforts, by our lineage? Um, It is by faith in Christ, that He has brought blessing to the Gentiles. In verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So the blessing here is twofold, and it's really two sides of the same coin. Um, The blessing of Abraham, which again is the promise, I will be a God to you and to your people. The land promises the blessing uh, of the nations, that he would be a great nation. All of that, the promise to Abraham, has been brought to the Gentiles. But the means by which it's been brought to the Gentiles is through the new birth. It's through the Holy Spirit. And then we receive the Holy Spirit as promised. And that... Um, G.K. Beale has a, a helpful comment here. The Abrahamic promise was, in light of New Testament revelation, none other than the promise that God's Spirit would create Gentiles into His own people by means of His Spirit. That this is an eschatological fulfillment is underscored by chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, where the fullness of time is the time when, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So if you just flip over to, to chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we see here that Christ brings us both adoption and the blessing of the Holy Spirit, two things that He's been dealing with in chapter 3. So we see why Paul called these people fools in verse 1, because to accept circumcision as a means of merit before God is to reject Christ. If we live by the law, we die by the law. We do not become sons of Abraham by the law, and we do not receive the promised Holy Spirit by the law. It is by faith in Christ who became a curse for us, that we are blessed. In Him we're justified, in Him we're adopted, in Him we're given the Holy Spirit. So we need to know this. The blessing of Christ is by faith in His 
bearing the curse for us. Christ bore our curse for our blessing. Amen.